wow, that was, uh, that was incredible. Um, I can't tell you how uh, special that song has been to my wife and myself. Um, well, before I, before I get into it, before we uh, actually um, do Psalm 23 together, and uh, let, me, let, me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time. Pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts. Pray that you would lead us, that you go before us, behind us, and with us. You would teach us your ways, Lord. Please uh, speak through me. Speak in the meditations of our hearts. May they all be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Or amen. Uh, Can we have Psalm 23 up? And let's, uh, let's, let's say it together. Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <clears throat> so, um, so my theory is this. That David wrote this psalm sometime toward the end of his life. I could be wrong. He could have wrote it uh, towards the beginning of his life when he was a shepherd boy. However, some of the elements in the psalm probably say it probably didn't happen before he was anointed as king. Probably happened sometime after that. It could have happened in his early career. Could have happened after he killed um, Goliath, been anointed by Samuel to be king. But my take is that it probably happened a lot later. That a lot later, David looked back at his life. And David had been through some stuff. Have any of you been through some stuff? David had been through some stuff. David had been through the kind of stuff that drives some people crazy. I mean, the things that he had seen, the people he had killed, the people that had killed those close to him, post-traumatic stress disorder, there are psychologists who look at the Psalms and say there are certain Psalms that have very telltale signs of post-traumatic stress. David had been through that kind of stuff, the kind of stuff that brings that on. David had had a son, Absalom, who had tried to seize the kingdom from him and almost succeeded. David had to run for his life. Uh, it's not the first time he had to do that. First time was under King Saul, whom he served loyally. And Saul became jealous of him. I mean, David had some serious stuff go down in his life. David knew betrayal. He knew what it was to have the tide of popular opinion turn against him. David had been through some stuff. You ever been there? Any of you been through some stuff? 
in uh, 2019, uh, I resigned from my position as senior pastor at the church that my wife and I loved. Um, I had not been thinking about resigning. If you'd asked me the year before, you're going to resign from this church? I'd say, no, I'm probably going to retire at this church. I love this church. I felt like I had brought the church about as far as I could bring it. And so I was in this season of saying, Lord, what's next with this? And I hadn't even asked him, do you want us to move on? And, and I'd gotten the sense that God was saying, no, you stay where you are and I'll let you know if it's time to move on. And so I began praying about, Lord, what's next? You know, what do you want to do? And how do you want to stretch me? How do you want to cause me to grow? How do you want to cause the church to grow? What areas that maybe we haven't been reaching out in? And in the midst of that, an Absalom kind of rose up amongst our leadership and had been working behind the scenes. And I felt some of the things that I think David felt. I was completely shocked, surprised, um, and thought that I would get through it the way I'd always gotten through things. I'm a pretty good guy. I love the Lord. You know, and with enough goodwill, you can always turn the tide, right? With enough goodwill, you can always help people who don't see things your way begin to see things your way. Well, that's not so. Sometimes all the goodwill in the world doesn't make the difference. And where was the focus for me anyway? It was on me. It was on my abilities. You know, my ability to be a likable person and, and for, you know, just to win the day, right? Focus was on me. And that's not where it should have ever been. But we all make mistakes, right? Focus is on the Lord. And so we went through this tumultuous time and it just became clear at one point. It was so difficult. And we felt like God said, I, I released you. And we went through uh, some really hard times. Soul searching, prayer, weeping, waking up at night, not being able to get back to sleep. Um, it, was, it was the hardest time I've ever been through in my life. The hardest ever. You ever been there? We go through things like this in life. None of us are exempt. And during that time in my life, the Psalms were lifeblood. Psalms like Psalm 23, where, where you make the shift, right? You make the shift from talking about God, He is this, He is that, to you, Lord, you. Not that I'd never made that shift before, but it suddenly became way more deep, way more serious, way more desperate. God, I need you. I need you. You alone. You have to be my strength. And you know when you're going through stuff and all you want to be is through it, and God says no, right? I'm leading you through the valley of the shadow. Enjoy the journey. It's not enjoyable, God. Enjoy it. You're going to come out of it 
and you'll look back as David did. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus in now. I'm not sure. Pete, if, where's Pete? Yeah, is the, oh, there it is. Okay. Come on, focus. There you go. Oh, magic. Um, yeah, okay. Um, and I want to focus in on the next part in the passage. It says, uh, it said, he leads me through the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Either I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. Man, isn't it something else, right, to sit down with people at a meal, people that you love? You prepare a table before me. That's what's in view here. Um, Jesus had some favorite images when he preached. And one of those favorite images of Jesus was um, a banquet. He'd talk about the new wine that will flow in the kingdom and how he would long to share that cup with his disciples, that new wine. And that there would be a banquet for those who are called according to the Lord's purposes. And I don't know about you, like, um, but I am so looking forward to that day when we get to taste that new wine, have that banquet. Went out for a really nice lunch today um, during the, the free time. Had an Asian barbecue, Korean barbecue sandwich. It was amazing. Um, but it's, that's nothing like, right, compared to the kind of stuff that we're going to be tasting in the heavenly banquet. And it's going to be all the more sweet because we're tasting it with loved ones. So, I don't know if you notice um, in, this, in this psalm, there's a switch. It's not just the switch from talking uh, about God, like he, he is this and He is that. But it's the, the switch um, from sheep to a personal. You know, now you get the sense that this is a person talking or from the perspective of a person. And that's pretty significant. And people argue about this. Um, they argue like uh, about whether or not we're supposed to make that, um, make that switch. And I think it's kind of good that sometimes when you're not sure about something in Scripture, hold the two things in tension because there's some different, different perspectives of things to learn um, from the two things. It says, um, you prepare a table before me. Well, I've been told by a good friend of mine who's studied a lot in Israel that um, the shepherd's field, where supposedly uh, just outside of, of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, where the angels appeared to the shepherds who are watching, Washing their socks by night, was it? 
They were watching their flocks by night. Sorry. Uh, they were watching their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appears to them. Well, the place that they were watching their flocks was known in Israel as the table. It was a grazing ground for sheep uh, that shepherds would take along a, a, a very long, flat, table-like area. And so it may be that that's what's in view here, that you prepare a table before me that you're still caring for your sheep, but that it's also switching to this idea now that it's no longer sheep we're talking about, but it's people who sit down at a table, right? And we sit down with a personal God, Yahweh, whom we know by name and who we address in the familiar, as uh, you would say in Spanish, tú. You know, when you don't know somebody too well in Spanish, you say usted. But when you know them better, it's and now we're talking familiar with God. We're saying you, right? And as I was telling those kids um, last night, there's got to come that switch, right, for you, where it's no longer about your parents' faith. It's about, it's about you and God and uh, about your peers and God and about you having that personal relationship and entering into the corporate relationship of the church, being able to sing love songs to God and praise songs of His might and His power and His grace and do it with all your heart because you believe it because you know Him. And He knows you. Knowing in the Scriptures, knowing in the Scriptures is never just about up here. Knowing in the Scriptures is intimate. That's why it says when a husband and wife get together, Adam and Eve, for the first time, they knew each other. There was an intimacy there. They were, they were vulnerable and naked towards one another. Nothing hidden. That's the relationship that God invites us into. That intimacy to, to know Him. And so I, I got to think that that's what's going on here in the psalm. That we're, we're turning a corner and we're being invited to a table with God as our Father and our Lord. So one of the greatest things we can ever do with people is to sit down and eat with them, to share a meal, to get to know them, to take the time and the space, to do that with our families, to do that with our beloved friends. You prepare a table before me. But what's this deal about in the presence of my enemies? I've never really thought I had enemies, right? I've known that there's people I've had a harder time liking and things like that. But you know there comes a time in your life where for some reason somebody's against you and you don't know why. And you go, wow, I know what it feels like to have an enemy. And you realize also in life that there's a devil and he, he doesn't like you and he doesn't love you and he wants to kill you and he hates you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your faith. We have a real enemy. Our, our fight is not with flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the spiritual forces of evil. 
And one of the greatest things that the enemy does in life is to speak lies into the midst of people. Lies that will divide them corporately. Lies that will tear them apart on the inside. Lies that will cause them to doubt and disbelieve and hate. That's what Satan does. So why would I want to have a meal in the presence of my enemies? When I thought about this, I believe there's really two possibilities here. Jesus said we're to love our enemies. And it could be that David, towards the end of his life, is saying, that's what I love more than anything, is winning over somebody through the Lord, of offering a table of reconciliation. And David did that a number of times in his life. Reached out to Saul's family to find if there was any kindness he could do to the family of the one who tried to kill him. And so he invited... a crippled relative of Saul's to sit at table with him. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The table that Jesus sets at communion is a table of reconciliation. In the Anglican church and in the Catholic church, and I'm sure in some other liturgical churches, before communion happens, There's a prayer of confession. And then absolution is pronounced over the people by the priest standing in the place of God to pronounce God's favor, God's blessing, God's forgiveness. And at the end of that, the people rise and the minister says, I think they do this in the Catholic Church, the peace of the Lord be with you. And everybody answers, and also with you. And let's stand and turn and greet each other in the peace of the Lord. And you extend peace. That is placed strategically before communion because we are worshiping a God of reconciliation who says if you hold anything against your brother or your sister, in as much as it is possible with you, go and make it right. Go and make it right. I'm inviting you to a kingdom where we'll all sit down together at a feast, a banquet. You can't come to the table if it's not right in as much as it is possible with you. And so we offer peace to one another. And we come to the banqueting table. We come to the banqueting table. I love that meaning of he prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Oh, look at that. See that little little blooms there, the blossoms. I left the water too long and it kind of sucks back up into the thing. Isn't that life, right? Sometimes uh, we get busy with other things and, and so things don't turn out quite the way we want, right? So I'm not a big fan of oozles and boozles and and they would call them oozles and, and watercolor. But some people like them. So if you go, oh, that's kind of cool, you know. Um, There's another possibility of what in the presence of my enemies means, and it's possible that both of these are true. That the first one is about reconciliation, that in as much as it is possible, God wants us to love our enemies and for them to become our friends and our allies and God's children along with us. There's another possibility too, and that is 
vindication. That when David was anointed, when he'd run for his life, but then came back and was reinstated as king, that the table was set before him in the presence of his enemies, of those who didn't want him there. And it was vindication from God that Israel, this is your true king, David. And I, the Lord, have reinstated him. And he shall not fall. In fact, his house will be a forever house. And of course, we know that's true because Jesus came from the line of David. That a king would rise up. David's son. David's greater son. That's why David writes in one of the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord said to my Lord, and Jesus himself said, who is God talking about? Who is David talking about there? He's talking about Jesus. So this table is also a table of vindication. One day the table will be set. The, the wedding feast will begin. The lion and the lamb, uh, the lion who is the lamb, will reign at the feast. And he will be vindicated. For right now in this world, there are so many who don't believe. There are many who openly mock Jesus. And if they won't be won over, Jesus will stand at the table and be vindicated. And so shall it be for all His children. There's a scene in Revelation where the martyrs of God, and as I read Revelation, I believe the martyrs of God are, are not just those who spilt their blood, but they're all who believe. And there's a number of good reasons to believe that. They're all who believe. For every one of us who believes shares in the sufferings of Christ. Our hearts bleed when we hear people mock Jesus. Our hearts yearn for our families and our friends to know Jesus. When Jesus is scorned, we feel it. And so we share in His martyrdom. And the martyrs are crying out to God, How long? How long, O Lord? When are you going to make everything right? When will we be vindicated? And the day is coming, the Lord says, just a little longer, just a little longer. So it's possible that those two things are in view when the Lord sets the table in the presence of our enemies. Then He says, you anoint my head with oil. And again, um, you know, we kind of, we kind of wonder what's, what's going on here. Um, with this anointing. Um, you're like, what is he painting? It's like nothing there. Aha. Just a little fresh water. It says, you anoint my head with oil. And I think the sheep could possibly come back into view here. Because shepherds will tell you that, that sheep at times can be absolutely... Um, almost driven to distraction by pests, by mosquitoes and, and gnats and flies and things that, um, that get into their fur, and they'll go running around trying to get away from it. But the shepherd will take oil and they'll pour this certain kind of oil on the head of the sheep, and it will bring about relief and comfort. And so in our lives, with all the things that, that harass and harm us, the Lord wants to anoint us with, with a healing balm to take care of us. 
But there's also in view the coronation that the Lord invites us all to share in as his sons and daughters. David was anointed king. Jesus is the king of kings. And by faith in Jesus, we become sons and daughters of the Father, which makes us princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. It makes us royalty. And we, we literally, folks, we're literally to have that view of ourselves, not in arrogance or anything, but to actually be able to look into a mirror and say, behold, a son of God, a daughter of God, to have the image of God so restored in us that we own, we own our heritage, and that our spirits cry out, Abba, Father, and we believe it. That's what's in view here. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. So I'm going to put this aside because I will try to finish this one tonight. But my cup runs over. I think it's very simple to say, well, that image, right, of a cup running over is an image of abundance of a God who pours out so much on us. As Jesus said, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within them. They'll never thirst again. As he's speaking to the woman at the well, if you would ask me, I would give you living water that would well up into you, right? Unto eternal life. That's what Jesus gives us. It's, it's an overflowing cup. And the more and more we press into the Lord, the more our cup overflows. In the midst of really the worst time in my life, I could also say it was the best time. I could also see that Jesus was deepening my capacity to receive from him, to receive from the Lord, and to have my cup overflow. As, as we were kind of moving towards that time, and there was, there was kind of turmoil behind the scenes, um, on Sunday mornings, I would come to church. The whole week would have been terrible. I mean, this happened for like weeks and weeks in a row, these terrible weeks. And the praise music would start, and I was free. I was like praising God, and I felt the presence of God's Spirit. And I had people come up who knew something was up in the church, but they would say, man, the Spirit was present today. Did you feel that? And I'm like, yes. They said, what an anointing. I was like, it's awesome. I was feeling that in the midst of the worst time in my life. That's our God who can cause our cup to overflow at the times when you just think it shouldn't at all, right? My cup overflows, David writes. Why does it overflow? On the night before Jesus died, he took his disciples out to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. I've been to Israel and I've seen these oil presses, these massive stones that, that roll over the, the olives. And in the first press that comes out, the extra virgin olive oil, it was to be taken to the priests as an offering to God. That, that's what the first press of the oil was. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he begins to be pressed. And it says that he, he began to be so troubled and anxious that he sweat as great drops of blood. And he cried out to his father, My father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. I don't want to drink it. Yet not my will, but yours be done. It says that he prayed this three times. 
crying out to his father. But no answer. Jesus went to the cross the next day. The cup was not taken away. And Jesus was crushed. And not just the first pressing was given to God, but all of it. Every last drop. Every ounce of Jesus was poured out for you and for me upon the cross. For the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. The joy set before Him was you. These are my people, my brothers and my sisters. I've come to win to you, Abba Father. If you need to crush me all the way, Abba Father, then not my will, but yours be done, was Jesus' prayer. And it was done. And Jesus' blood flowed so that our cups would overflow. So that when we come to the table, the blood poured out for us is a blood that doesn't bring death, but brings life. That's the God we serve. That's the God we love. Um. There was a time, I don't think it was after I resigned, I think it was before that I'd taken a vacation. Uh, but after I resigned, we'd visit other churches. And on this vacation, we had visited a church. And in the church, it was kind of a, a word and worship kind of church, which, you know, that's awesome. I'm, I'm like, all Christians everywhere are brothers and sisters and praise God for the, all the different ways. And this denomination or that group and that group, they're better at this and that and all that. And it takes the whole kit and caboodle, right? Something happened in that service. Was, I had come into the back, and I think it had been a couple of weeks since I'd been at my own church and hadn't had communion. And I looked, and in the back, there was like a little table set up, and I saw they had some communion elements there. And I was like, oh, Susan, they're going to have communion. Well, the band comes out, and they're rocking, you know, and, and they're doing their thing. And there's Rich up there, you know, and, um, and it, it's really good. And then the preacher comes out, and he's, he's fairly dynamic, and it's good teaching. It's solid. It's biblical. The sermon ends, and they're like, y'all have a great week. And everybody goes out, and I'm like, table. You know, like, I know I didn't say that, but I was thinking. And then I saw somebody that I knew, and they came over and greeted me. How are you doing? And it, I said, hey, I noticed, I noticed that you guys had some, like, communion stuff out on the table. Did they... Did they just either forget it or, um, or you know, it's just sitting there? And I, they, said, they said, oh, oh, yeah, they might have forgotten to say something. Sometimes we put communion there, and if anybody wants it, they can take it. And I, I remember kind of going out and thinking, if any, if, if anybody wants it, oh, my God, don't we want it? If anybody wants it, Jesus died to give us this, his body, his blood, so that our cups would overflow. It's not about our, the strength of our faith, how great our music is, how dynamic the preacher is, how awesome the art is, or whatever. It's, it's like about Jesus and how awesome he is and what he's done for us. And all the rest just serves to bring us to that place where we can receive. Does anybody want it? Shouldn't everybody want it? Him poured out for us 
that our lives might overflow. You know, if that's what we get from this weekend, just come away just a little bit more with open hands to receive from the Lord, to give gratitude for all that he's done and to become more aware of all that he is doing, that he's not in the next room praying for us. He's right here and he's at the right hand of God interceding. If we can come away with just that, then this will be an awesome, awesome week. Don't you think? Amen. Uh, let me pray for you before we send you out with your, your prayers. Boy, I got, I got even less done on this one. Anyway, I'll work on it while you're gone. Oh, Lord, we want you. We want you so much. Everything in life is, is temporary. Our, our families, our jobs, our situations, everything's temporary. They're all blessings that come and go. But you never leave us, Lord. And we want you. We want you, Lord. Please have more of us. Make yourself known to us in the breaking of bread, in the continual table set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.